south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 267, covering the week of June 21st through June 25th, 2021. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to Go to our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. Give us an email address. You'll get a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition. That'll put you on our email list. That's the way we keep in contact with you. So that is our best method of keeping in touch with you because social media has presented its own problems for us. So if you like our podcast, if you like our website, if you like everything we do, make sure you give us an email address so we can stay in touch. Also, that helps us let you know about forthcoming programs, events, things like our webinar, which takes place June 23rd, or took place, I should say, June 23rd, uh, because that is how we let you know about these things. That was a, it was a great webinar, by the way, but uh, if you're on the email list, you get a, a notification about that, and you can register for those things. So those email addresses are vital for our ability to contact you. And you get that free ebook, Exploring the Southern Tradition, just by giving us that email address. So you can also purchase that book at Amazon if you want to, um, if you want to get it in hardback form. But you do get it free of charge in an electronic form when you give us that email address. Also, don't forget we have our Abbeville Institute Press. Our uh, webinar this past week focused on our latest book, Chaining Down Leviathan by Marco Bassani. And, of course, we have other books as well. We have more coming out. We've got a number of books hitting the shelves. So this is a big initiative that we put forward for the Institute to try to publish books. And it's I think it's going to be a smashing success. So there's that end of it. We also have our webinars. We'll do another one in July. Haven't decided on the topic yet, but we do one a month. And it's about an hour to two hours, depending on how many guests we have. If it's two guests or three guests, usually last two hours. If it's just uh, one guest, it's usually an hour so. Um, these things are fantastic, and they're only 10 bucks. And so you do get the replay if you register for these webinars. If you missed them, you can always go to abbevilleacademy.org, abbevilleacademy.org. That's the way you can purchase a replay for all of these webinars. It's a little bit more. It's $15 to purchase the replay because we have administrative costs on the back end. So um, get them live at $10, and then you get the free replay. If you miss it, you can get it for $15, and you can download these things, and you can keep it forever. I mean, it's yours for $15 for as long as you want because you can download it. We let you download the video and the audio files, so it's a great win-win for you. Also remember that we exist on your generous contributions alone, so if you like the Institute, please consider a tax-deductible donation to the full extent of the law, and that is vital, again, because we don't have the deep pockets that our enemies seem to have. Um, so even on the right, the conservative right, who are not our friends uh, when it comes to issues of the Southern tradition. All right, so let's talk about that. I mean, because, again, every week brings a new situation where it's clear that the conservatives and the left seem to think the South is the one thing that needs to be purged from modern society. If we can just do that, well, then everything in America will go on and being great and everything will work well. If the South, if the Southern tradition could just be purged, we could just get rid of John C. Calhoun. We just get rid of Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. You know what? The South would be great. But of course, they're forgetting the fact that Jefferson and Madison and Washington 
and Mason and Monroe and John Marshall, right? And we can go we can go down the list of Southerners that were important in the founding period, very important in the founding period. And uh, if you get rid of them, I mean, you get rid of American history. I mean, we can look at even moving forward, Winfield Scott, Zachary Taylor, both highly respected military uh, military career for both of them. And Winfield Scott was the only man besides George Washington to receive the rank of lieutenant general from Virginia, Zachary Taylor from Virginia, uh, William Henry Harrison from Virginia, I mean, the, the hero of the Battle of Tippecanoe, right? So you look at American history, Andrew Jackson, Southerner. How many things come back to the South? And, of course, that is the stain for the modern left. I mean, the South is the stain. And the and conservatives look at it that way, too, until you get, I mean, just from Calhoun forward, right? Everything before Calhoun is okay, even though they have to, well, I mean, I know these people were racist, and they were slaveholders and everything, but, but there's redeeming qualities. Once you get to Calhoun, though, it all changes, and then everything is bad in the South from that point forward, which we tend to disagree with here, that, uh, there's still lots of good things being said about America and American history and American government and all these things that we talk about from that point forward. Because in reality, when you look at Calhoun and others, they're just saying the same things that other people thought, North and South. Um, and uh, you can separate the things out from that. So the outrage now, of course, is this new holiday, federal holiday of National Independence Day on June 19th. So whenever that falls, this year it was on a Saturday, so um, next year it'll be on a Sunday. But then by the time we get to 2023, it'll be on a Monday, so that'll be a new new federal holiday. So that, that year, 2023, we'll have it on a Monday. So we've got this new, this new holiday, and of course, the first piece for the week is the righteous cause myth strikes again. And this is the problem with this particular day. And I don't, look, I don't, I don't know many people that would say that we don't need, that, or I should say that having a, a day that recognizes emancipation or the end of slavery is a bad idea, right? I mean, people say, yeah, okay, let, let's, let's do that. I mean, that, that's not a bad idea. The issue, of course, with this particular day is twofold. Number one, June 19th wasn't the day that slavery ended in the United States. It was a local holiday in Texas because that's the day that Texas slaves were told that they were June 19, 1865, that the Union Army rode into town and they were free. Now, we know the Union Army, we've already talked about this back in May. We ran a piece on Juneteenth and explaining that if you want to celebrate emancipation, then you got to do it in December because that's when the 13th Amendment was ratified. But the left doesn't want to do that. The left doesn't want to celebrate the 13th Amendment because they think that's problematic because the 13th Amendment allowed for the convict labor or convict lease system to be used, which was another form of slavery to them, and that created the incarceration pandemic in the United States. So they go into their own problems with the 13th Amendment. So they can't celebrate something they've bashed now for years, so they got to go back to something else. But they understand that it's historically problematic, and they started realizing it right away, and they began to backtrack on it. Well, wait, 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 wait. This isn't really... The, I, yeah, we all know that slavery really didn't end on June 19th, but it's symbolic of slavery ending on June 19th. But it's not. Because, I mean, you still had slaves being sold at auction in Kentucky in November of 1865. So is that really the end of slavery in America? And we know that three states didn't 
uh, vote, three North, three Union states, quote-unquote, voted not to ratify the 13th, Kentucky, Delaware, and New Jersey. New Jersey still had slavery till December 1865, so did Kentucky and Delaware. Delaware didn't ratify the amendment until 1901. Now, you could say that Delaware and Kentucky are marginally southern states. They were actually included in the secession banner of 1860. But New Jersey is the odd one because New Jersey supposedly didn't have slavery. But there is a great website out there. It's, in, it's called Slave North. And the individual put that together. doesn't update it anymore, um, but it's a, it's a very good website, Slave North. And I emailed him years ago, and I said, hey, nice job on this. And he said, he emailed me back and said, yeah, I was, um, I was influenced by Clyde Wilson and others who talked about the, in, the contradictions that the North was going through, the, the, the contortions that they do to try to foist slavery on the South when the North was just as complicit. And so he did a lot of work on this site, and it's well footnoted, um, well researched. And so you can click on by state and when different states issued emancipation. And I mean, it's fantastic. He rips apart this whole righteous cause myth. And that's the real part of this Juneteenth holiday that's problematic. And the, the first piece of the week, as I said, gets into that. The title is The Righteous Cause Myth Strikes Again. And it's written by Samuel Ashwood, and he is a minister in Oklahoma. But he says, look, here is the real issue. By putting this holiday here, you're basically saying you're codifying that somehow uh, slavery was the cause of the war because of the fact that this Union Army rode in and supposedly freed these slaves, former slaves. When he says all the evidence points in a different direction, even Lincoln himself said it wasn't the case. And you're also saying that Southerners were fighting for slavery, which we know as I mean, mainstream historians like James McPherson and others have pointed out, Gary Gallagher, that that really wasn't the case for most Southerners. They just didn't care. They were fighting to repel invasion. So we could look at secession and we could say, well, there was certainly an effort on some of the Deep South states to make slavery a, a part of that. I mean, making it known that they were afraid that the institution was going to be undone by the Republican Party, and that led to secession. But even there, you can look at it, I mean, this has been a long-standing issue. However, if you just want to say that, well, then you have seven deep southern states that leave the Union. Did we have war in December of 1860? How about January of 1861? How about February of 1861, when Texas was the last to leave the Union? Was there a war in February? How about March of 1861? Did we have war? We didn't have war till April of 1861. Why? What is the thing that caused the war? Well, Lincoln came into office and determined that he was going to enforce the laws. And not just that, he wasn't going to recognize Southern secession. So James Buchanan, who's president until March, there's no war. So secession didn't create war. Abraham Lincoln created war. So the war was to preserve the Union to stop Southern secession. And Lincoln made that clear. Look, I just want to keep the union together. If I have to do it by freeing all the slaves, I will. If I have to do it by freeing no slaves, I will. If I have to do it by freeing some of the slaves and leaving some of the slaves, I'll do that too. I don't care. I just want to preserve the union. That was Lincoln's position. And Lincoln himself was pushing things like colonization all the way up until 1865. Even until the last months of the war, he was pushing colonization, at least looking into it. So, you can't say that anti-racism and anti-slavery was the cause of the North, but that's exactly what happens by making 
this holiday here on June 19th, which is historically inaccurate. December 6th, fine. December 18th, fine. Not June 19th, because there were still people in slavery in, on June 20th, 1865. This is the big issue with this holiday. And the left, again, the left knows it. They know it. They know that what they know they made a mistake by trying to run around saying this is this is uh, you know a bill to um, or this holiday recognizes the end of slavery in America. But it didn't. June 19th didn't do that at all. What you have done though is said make it apparent that the war was about ending slavery. And you've placed the South as the bad guys and the North as the good guys again. The piece we ran back in May, and we also ran it years ago on Juneteenth, um, has a circular from the Union Army in 1863 in Louisiana, April of 1863, four months after Lincoln has issued the Emancipation Proclamation, saying, hey, the Union Army isn't going to free you. You're not free. Now, if you want to leave and you can come work for us, building earthworks and other things, you're going to get a wage. If you don't want to, you want to go back, we're not going to. You want to go back to being a slave, you can go do that. But the Union Army is not freeing anybody. In fact, it's specifically outlawed in the Emancipation Proclamation. That is the point. This is the righteous cause myth, and this is why it's highly problematic. But this creates an interesting dynamic within conservatism. Because you do have conservatives who have said, oh, you know, in honor of Juneteenth, I'm going to go out and watch Glory. Or I'm going to watch um, Free State of Jones. Now, we've, we've talked about Free State of Jones on this podcast. We've had an article about it, how bad the film is historically. Glory has some parts in it that are actually pretty good. Uh, well acted. I mean, you can't say that Morgan Freeman and Matthew Broderick and uh, Denzel Washington were not good in that film. They were. I mean, they were, they were very good in that film. Um, and there are some parts that you really get into the racism of the Union Army, which was accurate. Uh, you get into the part where the uh, where the Union is marauding through Charleston or the Sea Island area. That's accurate. I mean, that stuff happened. But the image you get, of course, is the of the 54th Massachusetts and then the uh, black Union soldiers saving the day for the Union is not necessarily accurate. Um, and there's other things about it too, but there are some interesting parts of that particular film. But this is the problem with conservatives. And the piece on Tuesday by Paul Yarborough, uh, when did, uh, the title is, When Did a, We Have a Civil War, Virginia? And it wasn't in 1861, and Yarborough does a good job with the history here, but it's now. And it's now because you have conservatives fighting amongst conservatives. It's a real civil war, an intellectual civil war over the heart of American conservatism. What does it actually mean to be a conservative? If you listen to Harry Jaffa, the long, the now deceased Harry Jaffa, but if you listen to Harry Jaffa, it's Abraham Lincoln. It's the union cause. That's conservative. To Jaffa, Lincoln was a conservative. Funny enough that no conservative ever thought him of such, of Lincoln that way. For most of American history, but now uh, this is seen as you know conservative. Abraham Lincoln conservative. It's a joke. It's laughable because Lincoln was not a conservative. He was conservative compared to the radical Republicans, but he wasn't conservative compared to conservatives in 1860 and 61 or 65 when he was killed. 
He wasn't conservative at all. He was a man, a moderate maybe, but certainly the left, on the left of the, of the political scale at the time. And what we've done, what conservatives have done, is taken all these discarded leftist icons and made them their own and said these people are conservative. That, of course, is going to open the door to the destruction of American conservatism. And Yarborough talks about this in 1964 when Southern conservatives hitched their wagon to the Republican Party and Barry Goldwater um, and how that, you know, we've, we've moved left from there. But see, Republicans always hitch their wagon to the discarded leftist heroes because somehow they are now conservative. So we do have a civil war now in that way, an intellectual civil war. It's been there for a long time, 30, 30 40 years we've been doing this, since the at least the early 1980s, but even before that. It's been going on since probably the 60s, so about 50 years we've been doing this, 50 to 60 years of conservatives uh, fighting it out over the true meaning of American conservatism. And when you don't have any friends, when you're a Southern conservative and you say, look, we should value what Calhoun said about union and government. We should value these things. No, no, can't do that anymore. Traitor. Racist. We should value Robert E. Lee. Nope, traitor. Racist. When you have that, we should honor Confederate soldiers. Nope, they were traitors. Their, their statues all need to come down. This is what a lot of mainstream conservatives are saying. Well, I can find value in people saying these. What for? It should be, it should be a no there. They just don't come down. And some of this, they're getting it back. You know, the left coming out. Now, we need to change the flag and need to take down George Washington, need to take down Thomas Jefferson. I mean, they're getting it back. So there are certain sacred cows for the conservatives. Abraham Lincoln needs to come down. I mean, they're not going to allow that to happen. You know, they just won't. So I think that part of it's kind of funny. Uh, but certainly, we've got a situation in America where uh, the right is going through a, a, another reevaluation of what it is and where it goes from here. And the Abbeville Institute offers the counterweight in this. I mean, look, we've been talking about what a Southern tradition can do for America for years now. I mean, we founded this in 2002. We're at 19 years now, 20 years next year. This is very important. And um, when you look at things like the agrarians in the 1930s, or who owns America, we've done conferences on that. When you look at the political tradition of the South, whether it's federalism, decentralization, secession, whatever you want to use, the Declaration itself, the Constitution, I mean, all of that Southern. You look at what Southerners have done for economics, you know, the critique of industrial capitalism, uh, saying that there needs to be a different side of this. I mean, they love markets. Markets are fine, but what does Southern capitalism do to people? Grinds people down. Southerners have been saying that for a long time. That's why Eugene Genovese liked the South so much. He found that, wow, there's some interesting things about these people. They're saying some things that no one else said in America. And they weren't doing it as Marxists because they were resistant to Marxism as well. They were doing it because they saw a different path for America, a Jeffersonian path for America. And that's important. That Jeffersonian path is important. 
So this civil war that Yarbrough talks about that's brewing in the American conservative movement, it's been there a long time. Been there a long time. But it certainly is something that we need to reevaluate as conservatives are shown to be not very conservative at all. They just simply go along to get along, and they don't want to be called names, and so there you go. But now, the South is, look, diverse. I mean, this is something the North pointed out. They didn't like the South in the 1850s because you had you didn't have enough white people down there. I mean, this is this was certainly part of the free soil, free, free labor, free men part of the Republican Party, David Wilmot and others. And you saw this in newspapers across the North. I mean, in fact, it was Northerners who were criticizing the South for being too close to people of another race. They wanted all these things for white people alone. And Southerners were criticized for being uh, less inclined to uh, have a homogenous racial, racial situation. And when you look at that, I mean, there's also the Hispanic part of the South. And, and Casey Chalk does a nice, has a nice essay this week on the Latin South, he calls it, the influence of um, Hispanic Southerners even into the war. And, and in fact, the image that we have on that particular post um, for this For this particular post, uh, which is Colonel Santos Benavides, who's a Texas Ranger, became a colonel in the Confederate Army. He's been canceled now, at least they're trying to cancel him in Texas, because why? Well, he was a Confederate, and he owned slaves, and so because of that, uh, he needs to be replaced with Harriet Tubman. You see, one of the arguments that people have made about Confederate bases and other things is that well, you know, Robert E. Lee shouldn't be all over the South because he's in Virginia. We could say, well, if he goes anywhere, it may be Virginia, but he shouldn't have, we shouldn't have Robert E. Lee High School in Alabama or Robert E. Lee High School in Texas or Robert E. Lee High School in Tennessee because he's not from Tennessee or Texas or Alabama. So we should not have these things in these states. But yet the left wants to make Harriet Tubman High School in every state across the United States, particularly in the South, if they could do that. But... She's not from Texas, never even set foot in Texas. So why would you have a high school named after her when you can name it after a Texian, a Hispanic Texian named Santos Benavidez? Well, because she is politically correct and he is not. And she's the trendy choice for anything that has to be anything besides uh, somebody who was considered to be canceled. But... Chalk points out all the contributions, all the different parts of Hispanic culture that have found uh, a way into the southern United States, Tex-Mex cuisine and these kind of things. But, I mean, how important Hispanics were to, say, the Battle of the Alamo, um, for example. Seven of the 183 Texans killed at the Alamo were Mexican-Americans. So, I mean, these men were fighting against their subjugation to the Mexican government. They didn't want it. And you had that as well. And then so you had um, about 2,500 Hispanics joined the Confederacy. And by the words end, Chalk points out about 10,000 men of Hispanic heritage fought in uh, in the war. Um, So a number of these men were Hispanic for the South. 
But that's not something you're going to get. You're not going to find that. Just like when you look at Jewish Confederates, how important you know Jews were to the South. Um, you, you don't see that discussed very often. And this is why uh, we have a movie being made about this. Michael Givens is putting it together, and uh, we have a couple of sympathetic people with the Institute putting this together, interestingly enough, to do a film on that. Because, I mean, it's going to blow away some myths about the Confederacy, you know, David U. Lee and Judah P. Benjamin. And, I mean, you have some pretty important people in the high-ranking areas of the South, or, you know, high-level areas of the South, that uh, were Jewish. And how Jews were treated perhaps better in the South than they were in the North. So you've got that part of Southern history that also needs to be talked about. And then uh, the piece on Thursday, A Plague on the South, is about the yellow fever epidemics that swept across the South. And this is by Jack Marcourt, our resident historian, one of our resident historians in Japan. We have two of them now. We have uh, Jason Morgan and Jack Marcourt. Nowhere near each other in Japan, but certainly both in Japan. And Jack, Jack's a World War II veteran. And uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those... Uh, individuals are, are um, not around us anymore. So it's great to have Jack contributing and still still uh, you know moving forward and still producing good stuff for us. And he has a book, by the way. Um, you can go out. It's a Shotwell publishing book. We haven't we haven't reviewed it here, but it is a it is a good book, um, and it's on his life story. And of course, Jack is from I think Connecticut initially, but loves the South, and uh, he's very much interested in Southern history and. The Southern tradition. Well, here he talks about the yellow fever, which was worse than anything COVID-19 could offer. I mean, people really were afraid of this, and rightly so. They didn't understand what was going on, but they didn't understand how to stop it. Later found out it was mosquitoes. But certainly, um, when you look at how many people died because of yellow fever, I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. And this was something that people had to deal with on a regular basis. You know, we take for granted modern health and how important uh, some of the sanitation tactics that we use and vaccinations and other things to try to keep people from getting sick. It's things that they didn't have. I mean, you go into some cities, interestingly enough, for example, in the south, in Columbus, Georgia. You go to the main street in Columbus, Georgia. It's called Broad Street, and the houses were built far apart, both uh, across the street and next to each other because it was thought that if you put the houses further apart, you'll have better sanitation. People won't get as sick. So they were already doing social distancing back in the 19th century here. and uh, These were certainly things, but you know, mosquitoes were causing yellow fever, but other, other illnesses that could be caused by human contact, spreading a disease that way, uh, spreading an infection that way. These are things that people were trying to figure out in the 19th century and the South, because it had so much of this. I mean, it's a subtropical climate, so it is a um, it is a breeding ground for some of these nasty viruses and other things to take hold. And I think Jack does a great job in this piece talking about that and how it was such a problem for people in the South and then eventually in the North uh, in the in the 19th century. And then I want to finish up this week with the last piece, and it's a great piece um, by Travis Holt, A Requiem for a Hellraiser. Now, patrimony is important. We just had Father's Day last week, and we forget sometimes the importance of patrimony. It's one thing that the South was 
well respected for. You know, idolizing Robert E. Lee was a sign of respecting patrimony. And Lee, more than anyone in the South, was just a good man. Uh, George Washington was a good man. So when you look at these people that are symbolic of the United States, and Lee was just as much symbolic of the United States as Lincoln, I told the story that a listener emailed me and said, look, I, I had Chinese tourists in the 80s. We were in Texas, and all they wanted to see was the Robert E. Lee statue. They didn't care about the Texas Book Depository in Dallas. They didn't care about any of that. They wanted to see the Lee statue in Dallas. That's what they were there to see, because Lee was the quintessential American. He was a guy that stuck it to the empire. But Lee was a good man. Washington was a good man. And, and we have people that are good men. And that's important. Patrimony is important. And so when Travis Holt writes this piece about his grandfather and his grandfather being uh, someone who was uh, rough around the edges, so to speak, but he was a good man. And he was certainly interested in his, his progeny, his, his grandson, and, and uh, continuing forward with that legacy of people, understanding where we come from, understanding who we are. And I think Holt understands that. You know, he, he writes in this, and he understands this is an important connection. And he misses his grandfather. His grandfather died in 2020. Misses his grandfather because it's, that connection was then severed. That's the importance of patrimony. It's the importance of having this connection to the past and why we do what we do with the Institute. If you seek to understand these people, I mean, certainly, Holt does not say that all of this stuff that his grandfather did was acceptable, but you learn to appreciate the person and separate the actions from the person, the things you don't agree with, but still love that person. And this is an, an important part of understanding the Southern tradition. You love the people that were there before you. You love them. And you love the parts that we can love. And you say, well, we don't agree with these parts, but we still love those people anyways. What the left wants to do is say, you can't love them. You can't love George Washington. You can't love Robert E. Lee. You can't love any of them. You can't love your Confederate ancestors. You can't love those people because those people were evil. And saying that is pure evil. Saying that is evil. And it has to be called out as such. Because what they're essentially saying is you have corruption of blood. That's not something that we've accepted in Western society in a very long time. But this is essentially what the left wants to do today. So loving your patrimony is certainly part of the Southern tradition. It's that attachment to people, place, time, and it means something. And this piece is moving. It means something because of that. Until next time, get there.